channel open, welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on February 19th, 2022, and is current through the Star Trek Discovery episode Rubicon, so beware of spoilers. And if you are in one of the regions where Star Trek Discovery or Star Trek Prodigy has not yet aired and you are trying to stay spoiler-free, be sure to check the episode article on TrekCore for time codes for each of our stories tonight in order to avoid them. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a regular news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are five television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is the co-host of the I Quit Star Trek podcast. It's Jack Conker. Jack, welcome to Weekly Trek. Hello. Thank you for having me on. It's a real pleasure. All right, Jack. Well, I ask my guests this question every week. I want to know something that's got you feeling good about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Ooh, well, I was on the train, long train ride down home from Edinburgh, sort of five-hour train. I got on it very early. And I thought I'd put on my favorite Star Trek audiobook, which is Christopher L. Bennett's Face of the Unknown. Oh, yeah. And it's absolutely one of my favorites. Uh, I think I first got it about four years ago, and I listened to it about half a dozen times because it is just a really good story, and it's a really good build on one of the best original series episodes, The Corbinite Maneuver. It explores Baylock and the First Federation. It's a really good sort of like, what happens if you come back, if you explore it, and it's got a, you know, it's also asking moral questions about time. It's very much in the Trek tradition. And it's a rip-roaring story, and everyone has a bit of fun in it. And, you know, it's one of those ones that would be really cool if someone adapted it as a full, like, radio play or yep. an animation. And yep. I just enjoy it. And, you know, I think sort of at the bit now where they're starting to explore, so I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's a good one. I recommend everybody try and read the book or get your hand on the audiobook. They're really fun. I think most, a lot of the... Original series audiobooks coming out now, I've listened to, and they're all really good. I think the quality of Trek books is the new ones is exceptional. I sort of, yes. every, you know, I mean, we all, all Una McCormack ones are sitting in front of a copy of Way to the Stars right now, but, you know, I'm sort of, every once in a while I look at the coda and I'm like, I have to read all of those novels <laughs> to do that. Yeah, that's <laughs> a, that is a long commitment. So, yeah, I'm kind of feeling good this week about Trek literature because it just always gets me going. That's awesome. I love Face the Unknown. It's a great book. I'm a huge fan of Christopher L. Bennett's novels. He always does this. Like, he's so good at huge Star Trek fans like you and I who are really into the minutiae and the canon of the franchise. Like, not in a weird way, but like, it, well, in a weird way, but, you know, not yeah. in like a <laughs> not in a negative way, right? He always does this really great job of kind of taking little ideas from episodes that maybe were not really explored in all that much detail and like creating these really great stories that come from them. Absolutely. I mean, even in Face of the Unknown, it's like little bits like he has Anne Norrit and she's an, yeah. He creates this whole character from one person who one very one-dimensional figure in the animated series. And he has Kirk in an instant go, you know, I really should put a second door on this bridge. Which then happens in the animated <laughs> yeah. series. And yeah. I just like that's the way he works. But also that, as I think you're probably leading into, they work if you don't know what's going on. Yes. You know, he explains what everyone is, who your relationships right. are, you know. And everything feels like What's the other one I really enjoyed? The Higher Frontier. Yes. His, mo his uh, motion picture, Rafa Carnley, yes. which talks about the Ain on the Esperance, is honestly still one of the best Trek books. I need to go back and give it another read because it just is a really good at bridging the gap between where the crew are yep. at the end of the motion picture and where they are at the start of Rafa Khan. And it's, it ties a lot. It's one of those ones that ties loose ends. It's what the Trek yep. books should be for. If you haven't read it yet, another my favorite of his books is The Buried Age, which tells the story of Picard between what he thinks is the destruction of the Stargazer through taking command of the Enterprise D. Because there is a gap there in which he is not in command of a starship. And it's like, 
how to, and it sort of takes you right from the Battle of Maxia all the way through Encounter at Farpoint. And it's really excellent because it explores a lot about Picard's love of archaeology. And he is at this sort of like point in time where, you know, he just lost his ship and he's gone through this very difficult court martial. And he's kind of wondering, like, should I really be continuing? You know, I've been captain of a starship now for like 20 years. Should I really be continuing to do this? And it's a really, really terrific book as well. So if you've not read that one yet, go ahead and pick That's it up. That's on my list. It's probably on track books is underneath the captain's oats which is the one about kirk as a destroyer captain yes I keep to that one's also very good right this yeah kirk's first command right because obviously the enterprise was not his first command outside of the kelvin timeline and yeah so it's the story of him in command of the sacagawea it's a good name for a ship yeah, and sort of getting his, you know, how he meets McCoy and all of that stuff. Yeah, the, he does a lot of great books. And I mean, it's one of those things, that when they lead into the fact that Kirk is a Captain Hornblower XP, and that he's, you know, like Captain Hornblower, he's commanding a lighter ship, and that yep. he learns the ropes. And I'm looking forward to reading that and exploring. I mean, I'll probably, it's, you know, it's a bit of Star Trek history that I like to explore a bit. So it'll be interesting to read it. But yeah, I mean, I'm currently enjoying a lot of Trek literature. Well, it's funny you mentioned Trek audiobooks because the thing I'm feeling really good about this week is Tuesday marks the release day for the first full cast audio drama, this time for Star Trek Picard, this being No Man's Land. And I will confess, I have already listened to No Man's Land, and it's great. My review will be coming on Trek Core later this week, but suffice to say, it's really, really good in terms of it's a really nice little story, but the character work between Seven and between Raffi, played by Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd, who do an excellent job, and the exploration of what looks like the start of their relationship is actually very well done. That is basically the core focus of the story itself, is kind of picking up and exploring in more detail. And it, it's one thing to have it done in like a prose novel, it's an entirely different thing to have it done with the performances of the actresses themselves kind of playing off each other. And so, yeah, it's really good. I highly recommend folks pick it up. I will also say at the end, there is what I think is the smallest tie-in and kind of reveal for the first episode of Star Trek Picard season two. So if you're itching to get a little more information about where season two might pick up, make sure you pick up No Man's Land before March the 2nd. I am excited for that for two reasons. One, it is exceptional and cathartic that they are just going to lean and go head in on the whole seven graphy thing. Yes. There's one of these things are like, oh, they're sort of leaning towards this. And the end of Picard season one is like, oh, they're doing it. And then with no man's stuff, it's like, oh, they're they're really doing it. Yes. They're not going to skirt around it or you know, pretend it's not a thing or leave it up to us to fill the gaps. And that's really good. I'm looking forward to that. And the second reason I'm looking forward to it is that one of the things that is really going to, if they are going to make this Star Trek universe thing, a big thing, a competitive thing, is giving it the big finish treatment. Because yes. if people know their Doctor Who, they'll know that alongside the new Who, there is a company called Big Finish do the same audio dramas. And they started off small and they started off with, you know, impressionists and actors. They've got to the point now where we have, you know, David Tennant and Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper and the original actors coming on and recording their characters, and they're massive, and the stories are exceptional. And Trek could do that. You know, we could do, you could have Michelle Yeoh and Seeker Martin Green doing stories on the Shenzo for Discovery Starts. You could have Pike and Spock. You could do, redo the Menagerie as an audio play with yeah. Anson Mount and Ethan Peck, and, you know, just not do something like that. There's so many things because audio plays allow a lot of stuff that you can't do with on screen media, yep. but they still, you get the feel of it. And I'm really excited that this could start that trend. So once again, that requires Paramount to know what they're doing with uh, <laughs> the IP, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point this week. Oh, I think that's our top story tonight. Yes, I will not spoil whether there is any smooching or not, but I will say I think fans will be very happy. All right. Well, with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on. and I'm a reporter. Well, this was a strange week for Star Trek Strange New Worlds' publicity campaign when Viacom CBS seemed to publicly release a teaser trailer for the Captain Pike show and then immediately retracted it and has not followed through and yet released it. The past week saw Viacom CBS, now known as Paramount Global, but more on that in a moment, host their annual investor event live stream. Like last year, you might remember they did another one of these live streams that gave us the first look at the Prodigy characters. Fans were tuned in and expecting the potential for some Star Trek news and reveals. And they got some, 
in fairness, there were comments by J.J. Abrams about the next Star Trek movie, which were not viewable to the public, but have subsequently been reported by the press, and that'll be our next story. And then after a short intro video featuring hype from Sir Patrick Stewart, Sneak with Martin Green, and Anson Mount about the Star Trek franchise, Mount teed up the teaser trailer for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which then played over the public feed. And those lucky enough to watch it, unfortunately, I was not one of them. I'll confess, I thought like, oh, there's nothing coming, so I'm not going to bother tuning in. More fool me. Those who were lucky enough to watch it saw a lot of new footage from the show, including a look at the Enterprise, Pike on a horseback with a beard, Uhura, Spock, and what looked like to Pring, and a bunch more. The internet was set alight as fans started sharing screen caps from the broadcast, expecting a wide public release of the trailer moments after it showed at the investor event. After all, why show it on the public speed if you weren't then going to put it out into the world, except that the public release never came, and Paramount has been ruthlessly submitting copyright strikes against anyone who shared screen caps from the trailer, including the fan account Trek Central, who got locked out of their Twitter account for a couple of days. Now, clearly, Paramount screwed up, and the Strange New Worlds trailer should not have been broadcast on the public feed. It should have only gone out over the investors-only feed. But the heavy-handed way in which Paramount handled their mistake, aka punishing the fans who were excited about something that looked to them like it was getting a public release, is really unfortunate. Rather than copyright strike every appearance of the screen caps, I don't know, maybe just release this teaser trailer? There's obviously a ton of interest in this show, evidenced by the way in which the trailer started to light up the internet before it was even released, but Paramount, in their infinite wisdom, has decided not to follow through. So where I thought the lead story of this show this week was going to be discussing the details of the Strange New Worlds trailer, instead we're talking about another public relations blunder by Paramount in their relationship with the fans. Go figure. Jack? What was your reaction to the missing in action Strange New Worlds teaser? Fans don't owe corporations anything. And corporations don't owe fans anything. This is a business transaction. They're not family. This is a Disney. Get a grip. But also, from a business model, this was unbelievably stupid. <laughs> <laughs> because Tuesday nights is when me and my friends, we get together and we usually watch an episode of Star Trek. You know, when Picard and Discovery or Lower Decks are on, we would watch that. Usually, Somebody would, usually these days, somebody's taken a screen recording of Pluto TV and we watched that back, something like that. And we'd done that. We finished it. When this appears, they were like, oh, it's coming. Oh, what do we do? And I was like, we sort of put an episode of Quantum Leap on and waited to pause it for about two hours. <laughs> the sort of two hours of, is it, is it going yeah. to happen? Right. And it was just embarrassing for Parrot. Because also, if you look at like account, like how John Van Sitters and stuff were tweeting, I think they expected it to be released. Yeah, right. I think a lot of the way that they were tweeting, they expected that we were going to see something. Right. And then immediately they stopped tweeting once the DMCA stuff. So this sort of comes back to a thing I've noticed where I don't think Paramount expected to be running a franchise. They decided they are, but they don't know how to. And that means that they haven't quite figured out that sort of formula of drip feeding leaks and giving fans trailers and fan service that gets you to the sort of constant building media sites that you get with like Marvel and Disney and yeah. Star even Star Wars now. That really helps. Right. You know, is we can have, you know, I'm sure another podcast will I will probably get at some point get to talk about how I don't think it's a great idea. But in terms of Paramount, that's a really good idea. You want to leak trailers and have people talking about them. Right. And then to just, you know, have people talking about your stuff forever. What you don't want them doing calling you morons on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of, you know, when you're DMCAing Treks, when you've got Trek fan account, Trek Central banned for your own screw-up. Right. No one's going to think lightly of... The thing is, I don't... Strangely Worlds is going to be the next big thing. Yeah. Trek does. You know, Picard was a big thing, but right. it's been made very clear that that's being rounded off. They're only doing three seasons. I think that's not just a respectful move. I think that's the correct move for the show. Yeah. And Discovery is sort of continuing on, but it's very much a legacy show that allowed stuff experience you want to build. That is the next big thing. And we've seen that across the last year of advertising for Paramount Plus, you know, having with Spark and Pike and even the most recent ones with Uhura in them, they are building it as the next big Trek show. Yeah. But we're two and a half months out and they haven't even started a hype trip. When you consider that, if we're looking at Marvel's, the Disney, Star Wars, you know, if we're looking at comparable Star, well, the Star Wars universe, they have been teasing and whispering about their next big show, you know, the Kenobi show, for two years now. Right. And they just kind of aren't playing the same game. 
And they don't need to compete. It's just that there is a way that they can keep people talking about this and keep leaking things and constantly have people talking about this that will work in their favor. And they're just not doing it. Yeah. Because I don't I just don't think they know how to. I don't think they know how to run a corporate fan, whether or not that's a good thing. I mean, right. I don't I'm not a big fan of corporate control of fandoms. But there's a difference between that and what this is. It's essentially telling fans that we don't care and blaming them for their own problems. Yeah, it's it's funny because it's like it's like clearly, clearly they have a date set for the release of the teaser trailer, right? Like at some point in the next, probably within the next few weeks, it's on a calendar somewhere, Strange New Worlds teaser trailer release. And it was like, we're gonna soft launch it to the investors, and they're just they're gonna be the ones who only see it, and then it'll come like a week or ten days later. And they screwed that up, right? And everybody saw it. So then you should be like, well, that was a screw up. But hey, that excitement that we wanted to generate seven to 10 days from now, it's happening right now. Let's just, right? Like, let's just do it. Just put it out there in the world. It doesn't take long to write a tweet and, and upload the teaser to the social media accounts and just and just get it out there. And then have, you know, and then it's just sort of like, well, this was planned, right? And this was the day that we were doing it. It's just, it's it's very, very strange. And in some ways it almost feels like it, it was sort of a, okay, we're not going to make TV Star Trek news today. We're going to make movie Star Trek news today. But A, you didn't make very much movie Star Trek news. And B, um, we'll talk about this in a second, right? Like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? In terms of, you know, Kelvin timeline and all that. So yeah, it's just, it's very odd that A, they made a mistake they didn't then lean into the mistake and b that they made it seem like we were at fault for the mistake and that's the part that like really rubs me the wrong way yeah i mean i have a friend who works at trek central and he told me the message they got which essentially said why were you on our investors the public investor stream i was watching the public investor stream yeah for a, bit. a year ago they encouraged everyone to watch it it was like this big thing and they hyped it up and they they were like you know this is happening and we're encouraging everybody to watch it and there's a if you didn't want anybody to watch it well then don't put any kind of public stream right just just have the, it just goes to the investors and they're the only ones who get access to it they created their own situation in which this became a thing where it was a public event yeah and i mean i think it's also that they sort of the trek calendar is now you can see they did this across lockdown and i think it's now just going to be a permanent thing the trek calendar is built on you know we have Star Trek Day in September and First Contact Day in April. And that is, those are the big days. And, you know, on a calendar, that makes sense. And maybe that's the thing is they're like, we'll do it on, you know, First Contact because you can do a big thing. Right. But if you make a mistake, let's say, oh, well, you know, you do what every sensible person on the internet does when they make a mistake. You look everybody straight in the eyes and it wasn't a mistake. I did that on purpose. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> that's what you do in the internet. But also in a corporate sense, is a win-win. And it's a funny, you just say we didn't make a mistake and you get somebody gets to write a funny story in a book at some point. Right. <laughs> Nothing in this is worth just pissing fans who already don't really like you that much off more. Right. I was reading earlier yesterday, actually, about how Disney, they started talking about, you know, the full Walt Disney, Disney society, like yep. gated community stuff. Yeah. Morally, that's fucking terrifying. But from a corporate sense, it's really good. Yeah, because there are people who have invested their lives in what you make. Paramount seems to do everything you can to remind people that they are a soulless bunch of bastards. <laughs> Which you know, anyone who listens to our podcast and listens to the stuff me and um, the boss Olivia says about um, Gene Roddenberry will know that this is in good Star Trek tradition to be reminded that the producers and creators of the show we love should never be trusted with anything. And this is once again proof of that. And I have a lot of sympathy for the writers and the actors and the execs because they don't sure. get to make these decisions. And right. we learn yeah. with the Discovery shit show in November. This stuff happens so far above their heads, they don't even know the decisions being made. Right. So they they got dicked around here. We got dicked around this. And let's face it, if I was a Paramount investor, probably, your, your stock probably isn't worth, much, worth as much as it was before that shit show. Not by a lot, but you know, it's like, the company is a dead dude. Shake my confidence that the company knows how to handle itself. Right. Especially on top of 
a rebranding, which I think we're going to talk about later. Oh, yes. Well, setting aside the news that was not supposed to break from the Paramount Investors event and turning to the news that was, we do have a little more information on the next Star Trek movie, this time from J.J. Abrams himself. In pre-recorded comments to the Investors event, Abrams said, quote, We are thrilled to say we are hard at work on a new Star Trek film that will be shooting by the end of the year that will be featuring our original cast and some new characters that I think are going to be really fun and exciting and help take Star Trek into areas you've just never seen before. We're thrilled about this film. We have a bunch of other stories that we're talking about that we think will be really exciting. So we can't wait for you to see what we're cooking up. But until then, live long and prosper. The original cast in question, obviously, is the cast of the Kelvin Timeline movies led by Chris Pine as Kirk, Zachary Quinto as Spock, Carl Urban as McCoy. It appears that no cast deals have yet been finalized. So take all of this with the usual grain of salt because there was supposed to have been a Star Trek 4 with the Pine cast that was made years ago that never happened. But this is the first confirmation since the aborted S.J. Clarkson movie that there are plans with, with the Kelvin Timeline crew for another movie. According to Variety, Paramount conducted market research to determine if there was still audience interest in seeing the Kelvin Timeline crew again and determined that even though 2016 Star Trek Beyond lost money and six years have now passed since the movie's release, the audience interest remains. Jack, would you enjoy seeing another Star Trek movie with the Kelvin Timeline cast? Yes, but not if it was directed by J.J. <laughs> yeah, right. This is my problem, which is most people who like the Kelvin film think the Justin Lin think Beyond was probably the best one. Yeah. And I agree with it. I think Me too. The, I think Simon Pegg was a right Simon Pegg's face. Simon Pegg's writing was very much both fan servicey and self-indulgent. You know, not many Starship plots involve a large Scotty arc, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good and it was wholesome and it was enjoyable. And it's the only one of the Kelvin films I've watched more than three times. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have an interesting relationship with Kelvin films. It was my first encounter with Star Trek. I yeah. At about age 13, I went to a friend's birthday party at a Odeon Cinema in South London and talked loudly through all of Star Trek into darkness, <laughs> which, of course, set a precedent. Ooh, what an introduction loudly. to the franchise. Yeah. It, it worked. <laughs> you know, I went and found bootleg copies of the original series afterwards, so we're going to call it a success. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, it sounds like Max Shackman's going to be the director and he's just going to be the producer. So, But that question, like, it was clear that in Star Trek Beyond, he had almost no yeah. influence on the movie itself, that it was very much just had his He'd name He'd abandoned ship to go and write, a slut to go and write, do The Force Awake. Right. Yeah, we know how that ends. Going to be less than about the rise of Skywalker, the better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing about the Kelvin films is that, like all Star Trek content, it's approaching the, the point where it's gotten to its best point with age. Yeah. And after that point, it will just go, it will just stop age. Because, you know, even Into Darkness is age terribly with the um, gratuitous underwear scene. Yes. And I think Beyond will probably age the best of the three because there's no slightly deranged Gene's vision point in it. Right. And the closest we get is the, yeah, I'm, actually, no, I'm not the first one because if you haven't seen it, you should. Yes. Go and watch it. I think it might still be on Netflix in Europe. It is nice that we have a bit more information about this movie, right? In the sense that yeah. now, you know, okay, it's supposedly going to be the Kelvin Timeline cast. A little concerning to me that they're saying that without having locked down the cast deals because they did that once before and that didn't work out very well. With You know who this is really good news for? You know who's really read this news and rubbed their hands with me? Chris Pine's agent. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Chris yeah. Pine's agent. We're making a goddamn killing for the last <laughs> six years, yeah. stringing these negotiations on and on. Because while this has been going on, Chris Pine has been doing, you know, film after film after film. I mean, if we look at the rest of that car, I, Zachary Quinto was in a P Penny Dreadful, I think. Yes. And then Zoe Sardana has been in Guardians of the Galaxy, and she, I think she's going to be in the next one. Yeah. So she's fine. I think she's in the Avatar sequels as well, right? Yeah, but the Avatar sequels are like, that's like talking about the benefits of Brexit. They're not, they're not a real thing. <laughs> sure. a I am genuinely convinced the Avatar sequels are an elaborate money laundering scheme by whatever, by a bunch of producers in Hollywood. Because <laughs> I remember seeing Avatar at age nine and getting excited about seeing the Avatar sequel at age 13. I'm 22 now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, been a long time. I'm not sure there's anyone left who's like, I can't wait for the next Avatar. <laughs> but that's probably great work for her. Simon Pegg seems to be doing pretty comfortably for himself. Appears intermittently on television. John Chos was on some stuff. Yeah, the main cast are moving on. This is the problem. 
Yeah. You know, it's not quite like when they had the gap between TOS and TMP when William Shatner was living out of the back of his car. Right. You know, you can't just say, do you guys want to come back? It's much more complicated. Yeah. Especially when, let's face it, they've been dicking around with Kelvin for, for ages. And uh, all I'm glad is that it is quite clear that the Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film is dead in a ditch somewhere <laughs> where it belongs. Yes. 1930s gangster Star Trek. Well, here's the thing is that that's not a pitch for a Star Trek film. Right. Like, oh, what if we did a piece of the action but a film? Is that there's not much you could do except just read hash piece of the action. Right, right, right. And I'm not sure anyone wants to see that. Yeah. You know, the best take on a piece of the action is still the one in Star Trek Year Five, yep. where they go back to the planet and it's just they've emulated the Federation to a yes. point of ridiculousness. They're all Star Trek fans. Well, they're all they're like, oh, we have we're a we're a democracy, but we have an election every single year. <laughs> and it's like every election every six months and everything's elected now and it's like oh oh dear <laughs> that's the best take but i just and also tarantino and star trek hits it would just not be a very good film i mean this is the essential problem with calvin is that it, the base concept as sort of admitted to by jj is that star trek people who don't like star trek and that has problems but also they never did as well as people thought they they were never going to become a new franchise they definitely brought back a lot of interest in trek and that that's you know i think there is a direct road from star trek 09 to discovery and where we are now totally but it'll be nice to see the cast again i think the chris pine kirk spock mccoy scotty that all of them we got by the end of star trek beyond were much more developed much more nuanced characters and I would like love to see them again, but I'm not sure how. Yeah, and I'm not sure whether they've left it too late. Yeah, I will see. Right, like you know, because right now it's all just very theoretical in terms of what the final product ends up being and in what form and you know it could be a triumphant return and it's like oh boy it's 2009 all over again isn't that terrific but i mean it's different now because they are now the secondary star trek in popular culture right until let's face it 2017 18 even once discovery come out when people said star trek they were thinking about chris pine and that winter yes but that that moment is gone Right now, they are the secondary track, and you know I suspect Star Trek Four will be a bit end up. It is. It has become like the second thirty-one show, since it it is just around the corner forever. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because I think that's also because we live in a corporate culture where it's very difficult to shelve a project. Like I think the second thirty-one show is one of those ones that about fifteen years ago. Then it just quietly drops and we never heard from it again, apart from like a memory alpha article. But now they can't drop it because you mentioned it once in public. You can't go this with a bad idea. Because it's a failure. It's a sign of failure to do that. Yeah. And investors need exponential growth. Right. But I will, if a new Kelvin film comes out, I will go and see it in cinemas. I will totally. probably enjoy it. And I will definitely defend it vocally on the internet because I just, I like those guys. They're fun. Yeah. And I think people at Beyond is a fun film. It is a very fun film. And yes. If, as Abram said, we get new characters. Great, because the new characters we got, Jayla especially, in Beyond, yep. were excellent. And I want more of that. More new characters. That's the good part. That's what I'm taking from it. Well, the company formerly known as Viacom CBS has a new name, Paramount Global, or simply Paramount for short. Leaning into the global brand most associated with the company, Paramount is adopting the name and corporate identity of the famed movie studio that Star Trek fans are very familiar with. In addition to the new name, Paramount also provided an update on their plans to launch Paramount Plus in more international territories. Viewers in the UK, South Korea, and the Caribbean will get Paramount Plus by the end of Q2 this year, late June with the additional expansion into Italy, Germany, France, Switzerland, and Austria by the end of this year. The service is also expected to reach Asia, Africa, and the Middle East in 2023. It's unclear at this point what that means, though, for international distribution for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which premieres May 5th in the United States, but maybe before the expansion of Paramount Plus into some of those European countries that are expecting it still this year. Will Strange New Worlds be held back like Prodigy until Paramount Plus's launch or get an arrangement similar to Discovery Season four we don't know they've not said anything yet but based off the discovery season four experience if there's a wrong answer you should probably expect the wrong answer until they come up with the right one jack i you're obviously an international fan in the uk has been dealing with you know pluto tv star trek discovery season four i'm just gonna say it seems like it's been a pretty miserable time to be an international fan of star trek i mean yeah there's no other way 
it, I don't. Sometimes I wonder if Paramount Plus understands there's a world east of New York and west of San Francisco <laughs> yeah, right. and south of the Mexican book. Because it's like even stuff on like you know the region blocked teasers. Why are you region blocking a 15 second teaser on Twitter? What have you gained from doing this? Especially now, right? Like in the era of of Netflix deals, when like Netflix was, you know, could run that stuff for Discovery. Okay, you know, it it still doesn't make sense, but like from a lawyer's perspective, maybe it does. But like now, you're totally in control of distribution worldwide, and it's all coming out around the same time. Why are you still doing any of that? It just does not make any sense. The thing about Paramount Plus, especially that we figured out with Discovery shit show and onwards is that they don't really seem to have clocked on that that you have to give everything else at once otherwise you lose because if you are saying you know as having discovery you get it here but everybody else doesn't get it until here over 100 people who want to watch this want to watch your show who can't see it about 70 will see other means yes means that will not go into your pockets you you know you'll always have about 10 percent of people about 20 30 percent people who do that that's, that's just modern media. But the moment you make it impossible for people to see it legitimately, they just people don't wait anymore. Especially with modern spoiler culture, you yeah. can't expect you cannot expect people to wait all this time. And you know, we got the Pluto TV deal, which is not terrible. People talk about bad about Pluto TV, but it's free. There's some of the not terrible stuff in there. Yeah, and you get to watch Star Discovery. It's, it's kind of better than not seeing it, and I think it's pretty decent. But Paramount lost. It lost massive, and it will probably continue to lose massively because it's trying to push into a streaming war, but streaming wars at a point when is entering a point of diminishing returns. Yeah, you know, I am unlikely to pay for a Paramount Plus account, really, because I'm a student, I'm young. It's an extra monthly expense, right? On top of you know Netflix, Amazon, BritBox, license fee, you name it, and I can't afford that. I will just go and buy DVDs, probably secondhand, so they'll make absolutely no money off of it. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a lose-lose for them. And you know, having it on having Star Trek on Netflix was so good for them because kids and teenagers were sitting on their laptops or their front of the TVs and they were like, Oh, let's watch this. This is crazy space. That's how my friends found Star Trek, both yeah. online and offline. Is that right. it was on Netflix and they watched it because their parents are Netflix. So unless your parents are really invested in golf, or like I don't know, I don't know what's on the Paramount good Plus. The good, the <laughs> yeah, you're, people aren't going. People, new people aren't going to stumble on Star Trek like you could when you turn the television. And as much as thing is, it's also not a cultural monolith. Modern cultural. Monolith. When people think about Star Trek as a cultural monolith, they're thinking about the next generation, the original series. Unlike now, where one talks about Star Wars, you are thinking about the old shows, the old films, right? And the Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, and etc. All of which are released at the same time worldwide, all at once. Yeah, and let's face it: most people are finding discoveries with Netflix. This associated with Netflix in people's heads. You're not going to bring new people into Star Trek by saying. Pay for this thing, you can watch Star Trek. You've got to get people into Star Trek, right. and then you've got to get them to pay for it. Because as we all know, as trekkers, once you're here, you're here forever. Right, right, right. And they see just, there's something about Paramount's just cack-handed, difficult leap into modern consumer fandomism that's just kind of embarrassing to watch. Because this whole stuff got Disney built, essentially. With Marvel and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they created these monsters. Incredibly powerful, incredibly lucrative monsters. And Paramount just simply haven't caught up. Mm-hmm. And what they are scrambling in the process and making it increase, they're just not helping themselves. Because there's a good chance you might end up with a situation where those exceptionally high viewing figures that Star Discovery was getting season three, season two, season one, they just don't get those in Paramount Plus. And they're especially not going to get them if it doesn't have the equal distribution like it does on Netflix. Right. It's going to have great internal figures on Paramount Plus, but that's not say i just worry they're going to end up gatekeeping in such a way that looks great to their investors but it's not great overall and will just result in more piracy which is even worse for star trek i just simply as, as i say several times in my own podcast people who run star trek are fundamentally not to be trusted because they made star so why would you trust them <laughs> it's <laughs> difficult and i think star trek had a long history of being screwed around with by the network so it's it's in the highest tradition 
But if Paramount, yeah. if Paramount Plus sort of does a deal where you know you get it with something else, like you know if it's part of Sky TV or part of Now TV, especially in the UK, it's part of package deals. It could do well there, but that doesn't seem to be what they're doing. I just don't know what the strategy is here, except why don't we do Disney Plus but with Star Trek? Right, and you don't you don't have a century's worth of IP to deal with to use for yourself. Right, right, right. Yeah, it does feel like there has to be a smarter way of balancing the two together. And it just doesn't, of how do you, from the corporate perspective, maximize your own ability to generate your own revenue versus not closing off your ability to reach new audiences in the process. And I don't know that they've hit on the right balance to do that yet. Yeah, it's a difficult balance. And I think as uh, the thing I said earlier about the fact that there isn't a corporate fandom around Star Trek makes it difficult to strike that balance. Star Trek doesn't have brand loyalty, which I think is why the fandom is good in a way, because the fandom fundamentally doesn't believe that people who make the money behind this is good. <laughs> you know, it's not like Disney where people talk about, you know, they're, they're a Disney kid or something. Yeah, right, right, right. You're a Trekkie, and there are plenty of Trekkies who devote their lives to Star Trek content that has nothing to do with Paramount or predecessors. Yes, we're not like Disney adults, right? Who are just like construct their whole world around the corporate identity. We construct it around the show's identity, but not we're not slavishly loyal to the corporation who runs it. Yeah. And I think, you know, they if they put their back in, they could definitely make people do that. Sure. But um screwing people over on trailers and distribution. And I mean, we'll probably talk about it again later on and you know, the quality of merchandise which is getting better but uh you're not going to create that but they're still sort of building a front uh, still building the business model around that idea well and lastly this week playmates have made the exciting announcement that prodigy action figures are on the way and sooner than we think separately from the previously announced releases of action figures from star trek the next generation star trek to the wrath of khan and star trek discovery figures from prodigy will begin arriving in october of this year first up for release will be gwyn zero jank and pog hologram janeway and a two-pack that features dal and murph a release of rock tuck will follow in early 2023 star trek.com released a first look picture at the gwyn zero jankum dal and murph action figures they'll each have 14 points of articulation and a design for kids to play with them and honestly they look really great this is a terrific home run for playmates forget what i said about the next generation figure sculpts and maybe not being so great these ones look really terrific and in addition to these figures playmates also promises that ships vehicles and roleplay toys will also be on the way in 2023 jack even though prodigy is not yet available in the uk have you managed to see any of it by chance um yes uh i'm legally obliged not to tell how <laughs> <laughs> i did catch the start i did however i can say and not get in trouble but i did see the first two episodes at destination star trek last year and yes it was spectacular and i'll be quite honest with you i had a look at figures and it took me a minute to realize that those pictures of the figures are not screen yeah shots. Yeah, they are spectacular, and it. This is a good sign that not only are they taking merch, new merchandise seriously, it's good. They put lots of effort into it, and it's paying off. And especially, you know, if you look up on Twitter and stuff, you can see how many kids and Trekkies kids are seeing the stuff and loving it. That this is the sort of stuff that will keep people interested in it, and it's it's really good work. And Prodigy, I think, is some of the best Star Trek content. Realistically, it's smart, it's intelligent, funny, and it doesn't. It treats kids with respect. It's given, you know, it allows, gives them time to get it, lets them think and chew it and enjoy it instead of, you know, being a show that is designed for kids. It is a show that a kid will watch again and again and again. And I think it's a good, Prodigy itself is an incredibly good sign for the franchise. And content like this and toys like this are a really good sign in the long run. But at least somebody at Paramount is taking this serious. Yeah, this one gets a mere culpa from me because when Playmates did the first release of figures, I was like, where are the Prodigy toys? Well, if the second releases aren't coming until 2023, that means it's going to be at least 2023 before we get our first Prodigy figures. And how awful and ridiculous is that? And of course, it turns out they were just planning to, the, the, I guess the Prodigy toys are just kind of a separate kind of line from the live action stuff, which, you know, which is, which is great because the sooner they can get these toys out into the hands of kids, the better better sooner they can get them into the hands of this kid the better um, you know and i mean these are as you say these just these look great i mean whether i unclear if these are like 
prototype figure uh, pictures or if it's a picture of like the actual product that's coming. But even if the final figure looks even 75% as good as what we saw in that picture, I'm going to be really, really pleased with these. And it's great. They basically have the whole crew coming. Rock Tack take a little longer, I'm going to guess, because it's just, just the size of the character means it's going to be a bigger, probably more expensive figure just because the amount of plastic involved in doing a Rock Tack versus doing a Dal or a Murph. But yeah, this is really cool and really exciting. And hey, can't wait until next year to find out what these ships vehicles and role play toys means because there's lots they could potentially do with that yeah and i'm sure my um my co-host will be certainly after a murph toy <laughs> but of course you gotta buy it with that da- you got it's, it's the dal murph two pack so you gotta get dal figures i'm, I'm well. sure I'll, i'm sure she'll send me the dal <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this, i'm so I'm not really a toy collector or toy, but I think, you know, the long-standing mainstay sort of top of the line Star Trek merch will always be the Eagle Moss ships, which, you know, exceptional, who doesn't have one, who shouldn't have one, who shouldn't have one. But if branching into this properly as a new toy will be great. You know, I mean, I'm, I'd like it if they went to props, there's some new phaser toys and stuff. Communicators would be, I mean, I suspect they'll come because they're not difficult toys to make, they're not difficult toys to design. But starting with these, you know, toys... Stuff aimed at kids is a really it's a clever move. And I suspect that looking at those toys, they were developed probably alongside the actual development of Prodigy itself. You know, I suspect like both kids shows there was a guy, there was a bloke from the toys from the toy development company in the design group. Which, you know, I think it's a good move. It paid certainly paying off. All right. Well, we've talked about the facts, and now let's speculate on what's gonna happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, my guests and I give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the Star Trek franchise. So, Jack, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. My wish, and it's a very sort of dreamy, hopeful wish. Yeah, my favorite. Go for it. I'd like Klingon content in Strange New Worlds. Okay. What kind of Klingon content would you like in Strange New Worlds? I would like to know how we get from Laurel to Erend and Percy. Because when we, Laurel is the last time we met the and when we first meet the Klingons, they are domineering, aggressive, sort of militarized, swish, military superpower. And um, yeah, they're also um, browned up. The less said about that, the better. <laughs> you know, I'm sure one day we'll do our own mercy on like, Star Trek. You can hear me comment about this proper. But we have then had all of this Klingon content. We go now and we have the last game content is a decade before Aaron and Mercy. And it is Laurel as Chancellor of the Klingon Empire of a very different Klingon Empire. And Strangely Worlds is doing this gap between the end of Discovery and the original series in a time when, as we know from the original series and from Star Trek VI, the Klingon Empire and the Federation are at, you know, they're, they're buffing heads constantly. And I think it would be interesting to watch how you get from that. You know, does, is it Laurel who drives the Klingon Empire to that place? Is she upstaged by somebody? You know, I don't think we need to do round up Klingon. I think the less, we don't need to go near that ever sure. again. Yes. Please, it's just not worth it. But I think even subtextual references to it, you know, references to playing on and roaching on the Federation would be nice. And a couple of episodes with Klingons would be good. But I don't, I don't think we'll get them. I think what we've seen with season three and four of Discovery shows is that they don't really want to have Klingons on screen anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think there are various reasons for that. I think they might be scared after the reaction people gave to the Klingons in Discovery. I like the Klingon redesign. I think there were some problems with the Discovery Klingons, but I like the imagery. And I just wanted more of that. And I'm, it'd be an interesting sub story, but I don't think, yes, I'll be frank. <laughs> it's definitely going to be the elephant in the room, right? Is like, Will they go back to the Klingons? When will they go back to the Klingons? Right, because it's classic 23rd century at a time of really heightened tensions between the Federation and the Klingons. And to completely avoid it, right, like at least Discovery Season 3 and 4, because it's in the super far future and it's unclear, are there even Klingons at this point in time, right? Or have they all been wiped out or whatever? Or are they an entirely different part of the galaxy, right? There are ways you can, you don't have to show Klingons because it's not, it's not sort of part of the milieu of the time that they're establishing, but like for this period of time, yes, the show's going to be very focused on exploration, but so was the original series and they had Klingon episodes. So like, it feels like you would want to have some Klingon episodes in Strange New Worlds. And, you know, they have, they have sort of talked about this show being a good way of 
starting to bridge some of that gap between Discovery era and the original series era. And like, that would be a perfect one to take on. But yeah, whether they have the courage to ultimately do it or not and think through the implications of it, unclear. I mean, they might not do it in season one. They might think about it. If they take it down and think about it, good. We might get what we get sort of in early season one TNG where the Romulans are mentioned constantly, but they're always on screen. We know there is a Romulan threat. You know, it'd be interesting to look at, you know, Klingon vassal states or people who have been threatened by the Klingons. And, you know, the season, you know, remember, why do we never see the Klingons? You don't need to see, you might just see a Klingon battle cruiser on screen and you just hear the voice of a Klingon command, that sort of stuff, which would be clever and sinister and it would also lean on the original series tropes in a clever way. There are ways to do it. And I think if perhaps we don't see it till season two or even three of Strange New Worlds, it wouldn't be great, but I think it would be worse the way to sort of see how they bridge that. That's my wish. All right, let me tell you my theory. So right now, as we speak, they are filming, as far as we can tell, and I feel pretty good about this, that uh, they're filming the finale to Star Trek Picard season three, which is very likely, you know, everybody assumes will be the series finale for Star Trek Picard. And we also know that there's like a ton of previous Star Trek art department luminaries who are working on first Picard season two and now Picard season three because they film them back to back. So my theory is what's going to happen in the series finale of Star Trek Picard. And this is a great theory to throw out now because nobody can prove me wrong for like a year and a half until it actually broadcasts. So there have been some very kind of sort of light comments by people like Doug Drexler, who's working on Star Trek Picard around how there is some really incredible stuff being filmed right now. He did some Facebook post a few, like a week or so ago, maybe 10 days ago, that said something to the effect of, I've just seen, you know, one of the most incredible things being filmed in my career. I'm not going to say any more because you deserve to see it, you know, without being spoiled. And And it, but like, he was clearly very impressed by what he saw. And this is somebody who has not been too shy prior to kind of re-signing up with the Star Trek franchise and sort of expressing some dissatisfaction with the newer shows. And, you know, I don't think he, he sort of on record is not particularly liking Picard season one very much, not particularly liking Discovery very much. And now he works on the show again. So of course, you know, he loves it because he's working on it. But th- there have been a couple of other kind of comments like that around, I think in the SFX article, Terry Metalis and Akiba Gold and be like, wow, we've got some really crazy stuff in store. Just a few of these sort of kind of comments peppered around. And so if we're going off of the assumption that the third season finale of Star Trek Picard is going to be the series finale for Star Trek Picard, I'm going to lay it down right here that I think that the series finale of Star Trek Picard is going to involve a big team up for the TNG crew and that we will see everybody back in that last episode for some kind of big grand finale for that crew as kind of like a clap them off the stage in a hopefully more triumphant way than happened with Star Trek Nemesis. Organ sings to electric boogaloo. Exactly, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, if you did it successfully once, if you did it perfectly once, why not try and do it again? So, yeah, so that, so that's my thinking. I think, and to my mind, the only thing that's going to like get old, grizzled, Berman era Star Trek art department people teary eyed and bleary and excited is something that very strongly ties back to their experiences from that franchise. And the only thing I can come up with as part of that is you've got the big seven sharing screen together in the finale to this show. And that part of the not really giving you a ton of that kind of TNG character content throughout, I mean, certainly season one of Picard, you know, only had Riker, Troy and Data and who knows about LaForge and Crusher and and Worf, but like each of the actors are sort of hinted at like, you know, a sense of, well, maybe that it's all building towards some kind of giant payoff at the end, that the end of Picard season three will be the Avengers movie for the TNG cast getting back together. So that's my theory. Nobody can tell me I'm wrong for a year and a half. Jack, what do you think about that? I think it's a good theory. I I, I don't have a fiver on me, but I put money on something like it. Because it's, I think that's how they would go out. And I think, I have intense respect. You know, I wasn't a big buyer of Star Trek Picard, but then I'd be brought back by the whole, we're doing seasons, we're doing three seasons, we're done. Because, um, you know, number one, Patrick Stewart's old. <laughs> just, I don't want, you know, just let him finish. Two, I really hope we can get, you know, a seven or 
Rafi, Sherwood, sure, other content off of it. And three, we need that sort of last moment. And I think a nice putting of them properly to be like, we've done our last hurrah. You got everyone back. Their story is over. You know, I, I mean, I will say now, I suspect that series finale will end up with Picard dying and staying there. And not only would, is that like a good way to end the show, I think that's a sensible way to end the show. You know, you look at how season one was structured, Picard was structured. I very much think when they wrote that, they expected him to die and stay dead. Yeah, right. Which I would have also respected. Yeah. That's fiction. And I think it will be nice to see a good ending. I think it will be a big slap bang warp ending. I hope it's not a big explodey action ending. Because these guys are old, and I love those <laughs> freaks and all of them, but I don't want to watch him run around like it's 2004 again. Sure. And push somebody down an endless Jeffrey's tube. Even though you're already at the bottom of the ship, so how how deep could it really go? Because like, yeah. if you're is that on just the, the hole in the bottom? That's just the hole in the bottom of the ship. Yeah, you right. just fell out the ship. <laughs> you should have just done that. I will put money on that. Your theory is correct. That's probably what will happen. And I think you're right that it's the thing that will get all these people back is we're going to do a big last show. We're all going to get together. And when it's done, we're going to go get massively pissed somewhere. <laughs> and I think that's, yeah. Hey, and for a group of people who are in their 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, more power to them, right? Absolutely. Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek or email them to me at Weekly Trek at thetricordertransmissions.com and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Jack Conker, for joining me today. Jack, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Okay, you can find me on Twitter at Bad Socialist. I do tweet about Star Trek, but I do also, you know, I've got a couple of Star Trek projects going on. I tweet a bit about my main one, which is Edge of Midnight, which is um, I'm doing the Klingon Cold War. I'm going to write the whole thing. It's taking me forever. I will finish it. But I tweet about that, tweet about history. But if you want to listen to more of me, you can find me at I Quit Star Trek, the podcast I do every week where we, me, my friend Olivia, and a special guest take a terrible episode of Star Trek and talk about it for an hour. And it is a ton of fun. You guys do a great show. It's a, it's a yeah. really fun listen. Yeah, I mean, we need to have you back. We had you on, Alex, for a special episode about Star Trek Military, which was very fun. We need to have you back on for a episode i would be thrilled to but you can find us at quit star trek pod on twitter so yeah and if you want to come and do an episode drop us a message or an email and i think emails on podcast twitter i can't remember anyway come and do an episode with us but yeah Thank you so much for having me on, Alex. Of course, it was my pleasure. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander C. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Jack. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. Prosper.